Genesis chapter 18. Genesis 18. This is the story of God's rescue plan for a man named Lot. And um, he was in a heap of trouble for where he lived. He was in a bad place and God needed to get him out of there. And uh, the story is, yes, about the messengers that came just prior to the brimstone that fell. God sent some messengers. Three came. It was the angel of the Lord and two other angels. And, of course, we believe that that angel of the Lord particularly is a Christophany, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, an earlier appearance of our Lord and Savior here on earth, but not as a man, but as an angel. So you have that throughout the Old Testament. And you find him communion, of course, there with Abraham there in his home. And uh, then the other two angels make their way on to Sodom and Gomorrah. And let's pick that up, if you would, please. In verse 17, the Bible says, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? seeing that Abraham shall surely come, become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. By the way, I believe America is a product of that very promise right there. Because we've been good to Israel, God has been good to us. God in his grace has showered upon this country that which we do not deserve, but I believe the Lord has kept his word. And if we turn our back on Israel, woe to the United States of America. And the Bible here says in verse 19, For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous. May I stop and say to you, there are modern theologians today who try to describe what this grievous sin is. And do you know what they suggest and what they try to argue for? that it has nothing to do with their sexual preferences. Nothing to do. They'll take you to passages in the Bible, especially one in Ezekiel, where it mentions other sins that Sodom and Gomorrah were, uh, were guilty of. But they take the passage and they take even this chapter and twist them to make it look like that the real reason God judged Sodom and Gomorrah was how they were inhospitable to the angels. There was a lack of hospitality. For when the angels came to Abraham's house, Sarah and Abraham put forth a spread, and they fed the angels, and they treated them well, these in, uh, in the eastern lands. It was part of their culture to reach out and welcome one in their home. It was a great sign of acceptance. But because the men of Sodom did not extend that same hospitality, to these two messengers from heaven, uh, that's the reason God chose to bring down, rain upon them, fiery brimstone. And they, they, just, they just go on and on how it has nothing to do with homosexuality. 
And it's amazing here that I just have never believed that if I read my Bible, what God has to say about homosexuality and what God has to say about all sins of the flesh, but I've not really found anything about the, uh, the judgment of fire being upon someone who's inhospitable, you know? And it's amazing if you take that argument all the way to end, you mean God is raining fire from heaven because somebody didn't offer a place at their table and God's going to... That makes God really an unjust and an unfair and a really different ideal of justice. But when you read these passages, we know that the men of Sodom and Gomorrah were an abomination. Why? Because when they said, bring those men out to us that we may know them. It was, a, it was Lot who said, do not so wickedly. It had nothing to do with hospitality. It had everything to do with their insatiable, unbelievable, unbridled lust for the same sex and in which they wanted to perform upon these angels, and God Almighty is about to bring fire and judgment on such a land. Well, I didn't mean to get into all of that, only to say this sin, their sin, has become very grievous in the eyes of God. Verse 21, I will now go down, I will go down now, and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned, these angels, turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now Abraham takes that sense of unfairness, that sense of struggle to understand, because he understands the value of the righteous in the eyes of God. And he understands how God cherishes, loves, blesses, does his work in and through, and really his whole redemptive work that he's going to do from Genesis all the way to Revelation is to call out to himself a righteous people. And the righteous are God's people. And so the tension that Abraham is struggling with, that which he goes to God and wrestles with is, Lord, how is it that you will judge the righteous along with the wicked? We know you're going to judge the wicked. That's clear in the understanding of a God who is a just and holy God. But to do so while the righteous live there? Now Abraham is thinking, no doubt, of his nephew Lot. He knows Lot has a family there. And Lot has extended family in that some of his daughters have married. And now he has sons-in-laws. We learn that later in the story. So Abraham then takes this and begins to wrestle with God on this matter of, Lord, now it's not like you. It's not like you, Lord, to... Judge the righteous along with the wicked. And by the way, that's a classic example and instruction for you tonight that when you wrestle with things with God, when there's things you don't understand, when there seems to be contradictions that you can't understand, and you're going to face them from time to time in your life, 
don't voice your opinions so much and don't uh, run around and try to size God up. The best thing you can do is get down on your knees somewhere and work it out between you and God. Anytime my wife and I have issues, best thing we can do is get in the car and go to Sonic. <laughs> and while we're at Sonic with a cheeseburger and a milkshake, now we can talk because we're happy. And uh, when we discuss things and work things out, listen, two adults ought to be able to look each other in the eye and just take whatever is the problem and simply think through. We both want the same thing. We both want one another happy. Let's come together and work this out. And I'm going to tell you, friends, sometimes with God, when things happen in your life that you understand, the best thing you can do, yes, is to get down on your knees somewhere and stay with God a little while and commune with Him a little while and just, if you have to, even wrestle with Him a little while. By the way, if you wrestle with God, somebody's going to win. And usually God is the one who wins that one. And you're going to have your problems figured out. You're going to have your issues solved. And you're going to have great peace with Almighty God because you took the time to commune, take the time to intercede, and you took the time to pray unto your God. Do that. That's your job. That's your duty. And so Abraham does this. Now what does he pray? You remember the prayer, do you not? He says, the Lord, if you can find 50 righteous. All right. The Lord agreed. He said, okay, we've got 50. I'll spare the city. Judgment will not fall. Lest there be five less than that. All right, 45. Sounds good. If we can find 45, we'll not judge the city. And then they worked down to 30. And then it worked down to 20. And you know the story. Even got down to 10. Abraham stopped at 10 with God. I think God and Abraham were just in this great communion and, 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 and prayer and intercessory prayer. And Abraham was, was satisfied with 10. Surely God can find 10 righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah. And probably Abraham was thinking of what? Lot's family. In that he had other daughters who married sons, and surely he can get them on board and listen to God, listen to the warning of God. Surely Abraham was thinking, Lot has got his family. I know there's at least 10 of those, probably, and we're going to be okay. And so Abraham was satisfied with that. And so with that, we're looking for 10. One day I got to reading this passage, and it just dawned on me. How God works through such small numbers. How God works through just so small numbers. Do you know, and by the way, I have left my outline. I'm not even going to look at it. I'm going to tell you something. It hit me. God was about to spare an entire city that was living under the lowering, looming judgment of brimstone and fire. Well deserved. They're living under such, because of their debauchery, their sin, and their hatred, and their just love for the things of the world, and all of this that these men, of course, obviously displayed in their lifestyle. They're living in such a land of sin and ready, ripe for judgment. I mean, you're talking about ripe for the picking. And it dawned on me that God just needed 10 people to make the difference. 
Just 10. Give me 10. And what was it God looking for? He's not looking for the intellectual. He's not looking for the influencers. He's not looking necessarily for the great minds or, or the ones of talent, the ones of great religion, those who wore the clerical collars. No, he just needs 10 people that are righteous. Just give me 10 that still believe God. Give me 10 that still believe in prayer and the word of God and the things of God and that faith is the victory and that we can trust him and that he is our Lord and Savior. Just give me 10 righteous people. And with that 10, I'll alter the judgment that was well-deserved. I'll alter my plan. I'll do something that, uh, that, that is going to truly, truly and, and, and amazingly turn the hand of God a favorable way upon the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, I want to tell you what I struggle with many times. Our church is not big enough. I struggle many times that our choir is not big enough. I struggle many times that our school is not big enough. I pastor and I have a ministry. We've got three different properties in which we minister. We have homes that we work with. We have homes that are very similar to the roll-off homes you may have heard about back in the day. This ministry of mine was patterned after that. We have a home for boys. We take in troubled teenagers from ages 13 to 18, and we give them a place to live. We provide them a, an education tailored to meet their need. We hire three different families along with an educator who comes in there and works with those kids 24-7. We ask for a year's commitment, and in that process, what we try to do is, is put them right there in the local church to be a part of the life of our church. Some of these kids are coming from all kinds of backgrounds, Catholic backgrounds, no church affiliation at all. Some of these kids come to us in abusive situations. And we have a ranch for the boys. We have a home. We call it the Haven for the girls. That's on the other property. It's about a mile, about, about a mile from our church. And the girls live there at the Haven. We had one young lady that got kicked out of the house and they had no place to put her. And so they sent her to us. And they said, because daddy got a new girlfriend, the girlfriend didn't like her. They were making her sleep outside in the tool shed. And she was staying out there and had no place to go, and we took her in. We have children that come to us from all kinds of places, but you know, they're not real big. We have eight girls right now. Now, we get calls all the time, but there's so many desperate needs we cannot fulfill. It's amazing. We have, I think, nearly 10 boys right now at the ranch. Uh, we can house as many as 12 and 13. And so we, we're just, we just have about, a, about 10 or 12 to each home. And you say, preacher, what would all that work and hiring people and, and charging tuition and calls from all over the country, there's kids coming in, and then we have hundreds of churches that help us with this ministry. It's the only way we can stay afloat. Our church, our homes are supported just like missionaries. And, uh, and we have great, wonderful churches all across this country that have helped us over the years and still are. 
And people may say, well, you know, all of that work, all of that support, we have to travel many times, go to churches and sing and give our presentation and pastors will take us on and it's a great thing. And we go back and we do this over and over. My wife volunteers there. At times I will work there. And it's, it's something that God has put over in my ministry. And it's amazing. But someone would say, all that work for just 10 kids? 10 kids? And I'll tell you, there are times, Brother uh, Dr. Dr. Bloom, that I wish, but we, we, I need a lot more than what we have. We should be doing a whole lot more. I think that's part of the ego and guys anyway. We just want it bigger and better. Do we not, fellas? We just want to do it bigger and better. I do. I never will stop at it. That's, that's one gear that's in me. We're going to do it better than we did it last year. We're going to do it bigger than we've ever done it. And that's just part of my DNA, and I want that to happen. All right? I got to figure it out as far as my diet, but I got to quit that part and get it back to the ministry, amen? Get it bigger and better, amen? But here's the thing. There are so many times, even with a Christian school, you've got to have students. Because students is tuition. And with tuition comes the way you pay your staff. And so many times we just fall so short, you think, how are we going to make it another year? And there are times in me, I wish we had a bigger school, more kids, so we can have a little something to give to our teachers. Nothing wrong with that at all. But I struggle sometimes with the numbers. I struggle sometimes with the math. And I struggle sometimes with, are we really making a difference? Is all this worth it? You take our church, what are we compared to all of Cleveland? We have around, I think, nearly 50,000 of where we live, just north of Chattanooga. What are we to that city? What are we to the state of Tennessee? What are we to the rest of the world that needs the gospel? And sometimes you just scratch your head. Now, we've got missionaries. We have faith promise. We do a missions conference every year. It's the great big thing we do every year, and I love it. I love missions. I love getting missionaries in. I love getting behind them. I like those young missionaries that come in there and they're just, they're just ready to go. You know, they're like prowling and growling and clawing, trying to get out so they can go be missionaries. I just love when I see that. They're all fired up. They got big eyes, you know, and they want to get out there and do something for Jesus and charge hell with a water pistol and get her done in Africa, get her done in Indonesia. I love it. I want to get behind them. And we have a church that's mission-minded, and we support a lot of missionaries, and it's exciting, so exciting. BMI is just minutes from our church, and we also have the Rock of Ages prison ministry just a few miles right there in Cleveland down from our church, and we've got those folks in our church. And I'm grateful to God for all of that, but I still think, what are we? And I feel like that disciple that brought the lad's lunch to Jesus there in John chapter 6. And he brought that lad's lunch, even though they had the 5,000 to feed, 5,000 probably plus men and women, and maybe 15,000 or more. And he bring that little lad's lunch and says, here we got it, Lord. We've got five loaves and two fishes. And he even said little fishes. Five barley loaves and two small fishes. And here's what he said. What are they... Among so many. What are they among so many? Boy, that's my life verse right there, you know. What are we, Lord, among so many? And there is so very many people everywhere. I sung this morning, people need the Lord. Aren't they everywhere? 
Oh my, the scores of millions of untold millions in this world without the Lord Jesus Christ. And you often wonder, Lord, what are we among so many? But I love this. It was put to a beautiful little chorus. Little is much when God is in it. Remember that song? Little is much when God is in it. Don't get discouraged. Don't feel like your labor is in vain. Don't feel like it's time to just relax and take it easy because, well, we're living in the last days. Has the devil whispered to your ears lately after watching, hopefully, Fox News? That's the only kind you should listen to. Um, maybe that's not even good nowadays. But Fox News, after you've listened to a good session of news, you ever had the devil just whispering you, it's the last days, you better hold on and just survive. I'm going to tell you something. It's not time for the church to survive. It's time for the church to thrive. And I believe with all of my heart, if we'll lay ourselves prostrate at his feet, and we get down just like Abraham and say, Lord, I'm wrestling with something. It doesn't seem right that you would judge. You would judge righteous people along with the wicked. Lord, is there some way we can turn this thing around? Is there some way we can spare the city? Is there some way that people of God, the righteous, can be rescued from what certain judgment? And God says, you just give me ten and I'll turn the whole thing around around. Just give me 10 and I'll show you my mercy. Just give me 10 and I'll alter my plan. Listen, that's big stuff when you think about the God of the universe who has every right in his justice to lower down the brimstone. But if somebody will just look to him and believe him and give him 10 righteous, God said, I'll do a great and mighty work in your midst. And I want to tell you something, friend, we got more than 10 right here. I'm convinced that churches like these all across this country, peppered in these towns, is the reason God Almighty has not lowered the boom on America. Boy, it just makes me sick when I hear about these shootings in these schools. It's a terrible thing. My heart's broken. Uh, Brother Paul, just yesterday, he and I were talking about that and how that he said, you know, Pastor, he said, we've been trained for these things. When that happens, we go in. And you see that, and you struggle with that, how those little children are just wasted away. And then the politicians, without blinking an eye, jump on that thing for their political agenda. And I'm not going to preach politics. I'm going to preach righteousness. By the way, you can preach politics because now it's a matter of righteousness and unrighteousness. And I'm telling you, friend, it just blows my mind how the politicians can get up there and then hypocritically come after you because of, of, of issues that they want to pull up and say, it's for the children, for God's sake. That's what our president said. For God's sakes, it's for the children. I'm thinking to myself, if it was for the children, then why are we taking forceps in a mother's womb and slaughtering them wholesale under the name of abortion? Don't give me that hypocrisy. It just makes you sick. 
And you live in a land like this, and God Almighty, why do you think God has not lowered his boom? I remember growing up in churches, you know, uh, when I was just a boy, when my papaw preached, and I've heard preachers of old say, God is going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah if he doesn't judge this country of ours. You've heard that, haven't you? Why are we saying that? We are wondering, Lord, why is it that you have withheld your judgment? I believe America is teetering. I believe we are on thin ice. I believe in a minute, like a house of cards, we can come crumbling down. I'm telling you one thing, God, I mean, just the least little thing could happen, and we're, we're, just, we're just in a disarray. We had, we had COVID hit us, and we didn't know what hit us, and we were all thrown for a loop like we have never been in our lifetime. Yeah, we're, we're, we're vulnerable. We're on thin ice. But I believe with all my heart, the reason the hand of God has stayed from certain and, and, and deserved judgment is because of churches like this preaching the gospel. Folks giving their tithe and giving the faith promise missions and getting those missionaries out there and telling their youth groups Tell them their youth groups, you ought to pray about being a missionary. And then see God get a hold of their heart. And see them come forward serving in the, in the local church with a heart full of God and wanting to preach and give the gospel to a lost and dying world. And we send our young people right out our doors and say, if you serve God, we're going to get behind you. Isn't that a blessing to be able to send your own young people and let them go forth from your church, have missionaries right here in your own church, sending them out? Let me tell you something, friend. God will bless this church, not on its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. Capacity, I believe that. And I do. I, I, I just think there's nothing sweeter, nothing greater than to see God touch our young people and call them into service, call them to the gospel ministry, call them to the mission field. And as long as that keeps happening, I believe God will have mercy upon this country. Because that's what's happening. God's finding the righteous. The worst thing we could do is lower our heads and say, well, we've lost. The worst thing we could do is say, well... You know, it ain't like it used to be. It ain't like it used to be. And just get plumb discouraged. Just about lose any heart, any belief that something's going to happen. Get to the point in your Christian life where when you read a little pamphlet on a revival, you say, huh, that was a long time ago. Preacher get up and say, I believe God can still send revival. And all you hear is crickets. If you're not careful, you'll look at the numbers and you'll look at the empty pews and you'll look at the odds against us and you'll think the devil has won. I've got news for you. He is a defeated foe. I've got news for you, friend, gladly to declare, or de declare rather, unto you. And then as I've read the last book, and hallelujah, we win. The church of the living God is a triumphant church. We're on the way up. King Jesus is coming back again. He will rule and reign. And everything wrong with this country and the world and the universe, he's going to absolutely correct and make anew and bring wonderful peace and joy and settle it all under his jurisdiction. I'm so glad Jesus Christ is the one who's my Savior, my 
my Lord and my friend. And thank God he's the coming King of Kings who's going to set up his rule and rod upon this land, upon this planet. And I'm so thankful I am on the winning side. Hallelujah. So it's time to lift up our heads. It's time to believe God again. It's time to bring out that prayer list and wear it out. It's time to intercede like Abraham. It's time to believe that God still sees the righteous and it means something to him. God still loves old sinners. Aren't you glad God loves old sinners? If he didn't, you wouldn't be sitting here tonight. But oh, we're sinners saved by the grace of God. Oh, because God loved you and loved me, he gave himself for you and me. And I believe God still wants to save sinners. And I believe the church that goes out there and gets them, God's going to bless that's his heart. That's his heartbeat. And I just believe we need to go ahead and just pray all the way to the end. I don't care if it's just minutes away before the trumpet sounds. I don't care if it's even tomorrow afternoon when we understand that God is coming and he could come back tomorrow. If he were to come back tomorrow, I say kick it in high gear and give it everything you got. Believe him because I want you to know, friend, as long as there's breath in your body and a prayer on your lips and a faith unto God, he can't still do great and mighty things for those who will believe him. Amen. Will you believe him tonight? This prayer of Abraham just gives me hope that it's not in the numbers. It's in the eyes of a holy God. It's not in the odds. By the way, you and God make up the majority anyway, so quit feeling sorry for yourself. God Almighty can still do a great and mighty work. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things thou knowest not. Let's believe God again. Amen. Let's go forward and pray that God will have mercy upon our land.